Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. You have tuned in to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, October 24th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And we're joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic, Notre Dame. After losing two games in a row to fall to three and three, they defeat UNLV 44 to 21. They finally get off to a fast start by scoring 23 points in the first quarter, play it even in the second half, and once again give up some touchdowns that you don't think you should to UNLV. But, Tim, um, your thoughts on Notre Dame's 44-21 victory over UNLV? I think the biggest problem with it uh, is the with all the consternation over the victory is that they dropped the earlier games. Had they not dropped those earlier games, people would say, all right, survive in advance, bump in the road, you're six and one, let's go. But I'm not even right or wrong. Correctly, people are looking for improvement and when they don't get it, it's upsetting because they really had a chance to, I mean, how many times do you want the ball in plus territory against a team like UNLV to only score 30 points in the first half? That is just, it's, it was, it's remarkable. They have 14 real world possessions, real game possessions in in Seven of them were in plus territory. So the offense wasn't good in a 44-point win. It's really strange. You know, 44-point game, I'm sorry. It's a really strange situation, but it's true. 44 points, but 14 possessions, half in plus territory. Yeah, it, it felt very inefficient. Um, it, it's hard to believe you could be eight for eight on third down, running it into short yardage, but also your quarterback was one for nine passing on third down. Uh, or excuse me, one for 10 passing on third down, I think, and missed the final nine. So it just felt like a very kind of grab bag effort. Um, it's And it's hard to sort of tease out where Notre Dame was just physically better than UNLV, which is everywhere, um, and evaluate that against like, okay, where is Notre Dame actually getting better? Um, and I, I don't... I did not expect to come away from the game like confused on that. Uh, but here I am on Monday, 48 hours after the fact that I'm not, I, I couldn't sit here and tell you where Notre Dame got better because it got better or versus where Notre Dame got better because they were just playing UNLV. Yeah. I think you make, uh, you, you guys both make some great points and, and uh, yeah, it was very unusual. Tim, I didn't realize seven of the possessions were in plus territory. Yeah. I mean, come um, yeah, I mean that, yeah, absolutely. In 14 possessions. It was the longest first quarter that I can remember in a, in a while with all the possessions and the punts back and forth. And, you know, and, and, and another unusual statistic, UNLV was over 12 on third down, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't, when you give up 21 points in four quarters after the previous two opponents scored 14 points in eight quarters against UNLV, you don't expect it. I like, I looked, I saw over 12 after the game. I'm like, what? I, I mean, right. I didn't even a couple fourth downers that right, right. And you don't you don't even realize that. But I, Tim, I think you make a good point that you know, and, and you too, Peter. You, improvement. I, I don't, I don't know that I can point to any one thing. Yeah, it's great that they they ran the football and ran out the clock in in the fourth quarter. But it against UNLV, it does that doesn't have a whole lot of significance. I know Syracuse has been pretty good against the run, which is. I, I, I'm a little bit behind in studying them and I, I'm, 
I'm surprised to hear that they're as good against the run as they are because their defensive line was a hodgepodge going into the season. So they must be doing something right. And they do have very quality linebacker play, which makes up for some of that. But, uh, you know, I felt I sat down to write my column and I had to remind myself a couple of times that Nordin won the game because the tone <laughs> of my column barely, barely acknowledged that. And I had, I felt like I had to keep coming back to say, Hey, they did do this. They did do this, but that is, that was not improvement. That's not the type of improvement that you were looking for the quick start. Yeah, certainly you have to acknowledge that, but as far as improvement across the board or even improvement, as you say, Pete, in one specific area, I don't know that. I don't know that that actually happened. I, Pete and I talked about this walking out. They ran out the clock, which is what you want to do. I, I don't disagree, but it's almost strategically would have been dumb to pass because you could have, and we mean this, could have just made a mistake where the pass is tipped again from Drew Pine, and all of a sudden it's a pick, and the game is not over yet like it should be. Yeah. That is exactly, I believe, how Notre Dame and Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman felt. Run this thing out. Go down what? and score. Let's get out of here without Drew having to throw. Right, with a 16-point lead. Yeah, yeah, you're going. I, I mean, and this sounds crazy too. But maybe with a with a 23 point lead, you might you might be a little bit more aggressive offensively. And you know, Marcus Freeman talked about it Saturday. I don't think the question was asked in this manner, but you know, he did you think about putting Steve Angeli in to to cut to the chase? And they were going to put him in if UNLV hadn't had the long touchdown drive to 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 reach 21 points. So. Uh, I mean, I mean, in a crazy way, they almost would have been more aggressive with a with a larger lead than with a smaller lead. Um, well, yeah, you're protecting your win. They're at the sure. point where you're protecting yeah. the win yeah. against UNLV, in our opinion. I mean, I don't, I, you know, now look, running the ball and running it out is what co- good teams do too. So we should we shouldn't <clears> necessarily <throat> say, well, they're afraid to pass because they don't. If you don't have to pass, you can just run, and it's, and it's easy. They they're obviously going to overwhelm. You and I'll be up front, but it certainly felt like, oh boy, don't, don't throw Just get out of here with what you have. It's not a, that's not a healthy perspective. Against it, you it, it, it really, no, it really isn't. It, 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 it really isn't. And I get, I, I get it. And Logan Diggs was great. And Logan Diggs for three games now has just been pounding the middle of the line of scrimmage. I do want to acknowledge it's easy to get a, a great running start like Logan Diggs does or has been when your offensive line is just blowing them off the football. And, you know, like Diggs could know that he wasn't going to be met with great resistance at the, the point of attack. He could go flying in there and he, and he had room to, to maneuver. But once again, I've said this for three weeks now, really, really great to see Logan Diggs running like that. There were a couple of occasions where it was inside zone run. He didn't have anything and he kicked it outside and it was unsuccessful. So I would, you know, I mean, I still encourage, uh, not that he's listening, but I still encourage him to, um, you know, when it's a, when it's an inside zone, man, follow the blocking. I know that that's what Dylan McCullough is saying to him. And it was, it was his first hundred yard game. Uh, and it was convincing 28 carries, which is a, which is a heavy workload. Um, what was, it, what was our official bet? What did I win? No, the hundred yards. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it took a year and a half, or it took over a calendar year, but it happened. <laughs> what no. was on the other side of that? Deion Colsey scoring a touchdown. Yes. Was that yeah. the, the other side of that bet? No, yeah. it was no. Who? Uh, what happens first? Deion Colsey changes numbers, 
or <laughs> scores a touchdown. Or, <laughs> no, or Logan Diggs. It's a hard yards. Of course, Deion Colsey wore number six on Saturday. We covered an onside kick. There's a statistic. That was uh, that wasn't that once in Clarence Lewis. That was him. Yeah, it was Colsey. Yeah, they announced okay. Colsey. Uh, you're right. It might have been Clarence Lewis. Actually. No, the the yeah. we, uh, it the, makes more uh, sense too because he caught it. So, oh, get it. <laughs> No, the broadcaster said Clarence Lewis. What's your say? Okay, you were stuck. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't up. Yeah, I wasn't up there any longer. Really, frankly, either one could be right. You realize that, right? Yes. <laughs> Defensively, um, I, I, I mean, I thought I, I love the way Benjamin Morrison played. He was challenged. Um, he did a really nice job on Ricky White when it wasn't him as Tariq Bracey. Ricky White, who came into the game having done some really, really good things, he dropped one or two passes right away. I'm not even sure that those were actually broken up. And he had an off game, but I do but I do think that I I think that Morrison and Morrison in particular and, and Bracey early on. I I remember seeing a play that Bracey made that, you know, they shut them down. I mean, that was that was the one aspect that you can say. That was that was really good. Pretty much from start to finish was the pass defense. Now I dis I disagreed with the offensive interference call against Ricky White, which was a break for Nordain because that was I mean that was a significant break because it was twenty three to seven at that time and White caught that pass and got down to the eight yard line, so they were in the red zone. So Tim, you know what was going to happen there? Yeah. They were going they were going to score. A we'll save that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, most likely a touchdown. We'll save that narrative for a, a question in in segment two, but. Um, you know, that, that was a break. But I thought Morrison played really well. Any guys that you want to point out that, well, obviously, Isaiah Foskey. Foskey played so well that he was defensive player of the game and special teams player of the game as well. It's nice to see that we don't have to give an award. We can give double, duplicate awards in uh, 2022. Not yes. everyone has to get something. Right, right. No, not, not necessarily a blue ribbon for everybody, huh? Yeah, but boy, Brian Mason. What a job he's done. Imagine six and one, and you're talking about what Brian Mason's doing, how much more excited people are about that. Yeah, no doubt. No, they've been fantastic. They're good every game. They've influenced uh, four punts. They've they've changed four punts and the depth and how far they would go because of how close he, they were and the to- the four blocks. He told us he was gonna do that. Yeah, he did. He, he, he did. <laughs> I mean, he told us that in the preseason, and they do it. Um, you know, their kick return is still a bit if we're gonna get nitpicky. The kick return is still a bit shoddy, but his kicker and punter, which I don't know how much the special teams coach actually has to do with that when all is said and done, but they've been great. Um, you know, but Hey, Blake groupie. I mean, when, when he, when we came out of the spring, did you think he'd be eight for 10 at this point? It's still yeah. that right no. hash, man. Is what yeah. It's still that right hash where I just don't feel like he is completely comfortable with the angle of it. Uh, and that was a bad ball that he hit, and it almost went through the 42-yarder that hit the left upright. Notre Dame's defenders have more block punts than turnovers. Yeah, we were wondering. Uh, I got a I got a uh, private message from a subscriber saying if you and I can make a bet on that for the end of the year, will it be more fumble recoveries <laughs> or uh, or block punts? Not <laughs> sure, but it's the uh, just the if they've held, it would be the second time in the last decade that has that has happened in college football with Boise State being the other one in two in 2000. 20 so how do you find a stat like that pete samson you uh email your editors and they look it up oh right. there you go all right i'll email <laughs> yeah. can we email our editors we'll O'Malley? bounce back right to you priester 
<laughs> I'm I'm O'Malley's editor and he's my editor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, a 44-21 victory for the Fighting Irish, and we have lots and lots of questions in segment two. We'll be back with Burning Up the Boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. In 1916, Irish rebel forces have taken up position on the north side of Dublin's St. Stephen's Green Park. They exchange fire with the British to the south. Suddenly, a man enters the park with a brown bag above his head. Both sides cease fire. The park's groundskeeper has come to feed the ducks. For the next six days, there is a daily ceasefire so the ducks can be fed. Learn more when you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning Up the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way, Notre Dame football fans. Make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day Your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 to save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from Statman72. Can you recall a 23-point victory that caused more consternation among the Notre Dame fan base and those who cover the team? It's we Not kinda, a 23-point victory. That's a good point. Yeah, no, it is. And then we kind of stole the thunder here a little bit in segment one with that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, you almost – you win by 23. They were never threatened to lose. But, you know, that's not. started the way you wanted them to start. In the right. It, right, right, right. And, you know, and it, we can talk about running out the clock and all that. But I'm going to do something this week on, on second half productivity. And I think it's, I think it's going to fa- favor the opposition. Uh, because it, I understand the idea of run out the clock, but you certainly would like to be able to you know, just to continue to run your offense and not, I mean, basically what you did was we know that, you know, you're saying, we know that we're, we're, we're better than UNLV at that point, you'd kind of tenderize their defensive front a little bit and you just keep slamming away. But no, it, I mean, it's a good question because I certainly did not in, in, in my writing, I certainly did not look at it like a 23 point victory. No, I, I think a lot of it was the, the realization that, Notre Dame is who it is. It's not going to change this year. Um, Notre Dame can still improve, but the improvements are going to be on the margins. Like Notre Dame is not going to be a massively different team coming out of USC than they are today. And I think there was just something about this weekend, like bouncing back from Stanford, are you going to get a response? And you, you did for a quarter and then that was it. And I think that the fan base is sort of, kind of had a tough realization that like, all right, well, this is, this is who they are. And like, this is not going to change this year. I, I want to bring up the running up the clock, running up the clock thing again, because that is exactly what you should do. The problem is the two quarters before that made Notre Dame's coaches realize they had to run up the clock. I agree. The best way I can kind of put why that is not satisfying because a lot of teams when they're up 16 or 23 are run out the clock. That's a good idea. 
but it seemed like they absolutely had to do that to make sure nothing stupid happens and it becomes an eight-point game. You said it, Tim, before it actually all unfolded that they they ha- they really have to run the football because they don't have the belief or confidence or the yeah. security of being able to throw the football. Now, it should be pointed out that maybe it shouldn't, but I will because Marcus Freeman did. The second batted pass was a result of a misalignment of the offensive, the offensive front. I don't know if it was necessarily an offensive lineman. It could have been a tight end. I don't know. But how many is that, Tim? Is it seven? I said unofficially seven. Yeah, I think it's seven. Uh, passes batted in five starts. And that, you know, look, misaligned or not, that's going to that's going to continue to happen. The tr- I guess when we saw stuff in practice from the quarterbacks, uh, and people are like, what do you see from the quarterbacks? We say, not much. We did say a lot of batted down passes when Drew Pine's yeah. quarterback. So that was an accurate uh, camp assessment. Next from Golden Domer 7. Notre Dame has dropped off a cliff since last year. I, I hadn't read this question yet. And now it looks, <laughs> that's a very funny first sentence. I agree, Golden Domer 7. Rank these reasons from most impactful to least. And I will go through them right away. Brian Kelly leaving. The assistant coach turnover slash not coaching as well at defensive coordinator and among other groups. Freeman's lack of head coaching experience. Roster talent decline. Well, for me, I mean, last is roster. What's that? One and three are kind of hand in hand. Yeah, one and three are tied. One and three are tied together. Um, So let's just make it three. Um, I mean, if you assess who they lost to the last on this list is roster talent decline right. from last year. Um, you know, I've never, as far as assistant coaches and I, and I know, you know, there are a lot of arrows being shot out there these days at Notre Dame's coaching staff. I, I, you know, if I'm Marcus Freeman, I look at it in the way that I looked at, it. I coached 280 high school games I lost 98 of them and not once did an assistant coach cost us a game. So I don't buy, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that. I mean, I know a lot of people want to blame Tommy Reese and Tommy Reese is caught is bringing Marcus Freeman down, et cetera, et cetera. It starts with the head coach. And if you want, if you want improvement on the offensive or defensive side of the ball or specific area, it is the head coach's responsibility. I by far, the lead one is Marcus Freeman's lack of head coaching experience slash Brian Kelly leaving. I think number two easily is assistant coach turnover, not coaching as well, so on and so forth. Like your first, and the, but that also ties into the first time head coach part. Like if Marcus Free, you have to learn how to hire a staff and you learn how to hire a staff by hiring a staff and making mistakes and correcting those mistakes. Um, so that that's part of the inexperience too. I wouldn't even put roster talent decline on a list. I would put mass before home games ahead of that. Um, no, it's just it's like it makes no. The roster is, is very talented, play, with the exception of quarterback. Yes, quarterback is a very big part of not being able to win against bad teams, though. No, there's there's no question. Would not have lost to those three teams. No, two, no question. Teams. No, you're right. Although. He almost lost to Toledo. And he and he rallied and he right again. Yep, absolutely. Yes. You're allowed absolutely. to be close. Yeah, I you know, I mean, this is a the head coaching's inexperience was a topic that came up very early in the season. And it it's still applicable. And it's not 
it's not taking a shot at Marcus Freeman. It's just a reality. He is an inexperienced head coach. Remember when everybody told that as, uh, to the point about the assistant coaching staff, we were being told that it was a better when they, when it was hired, Oh, this is a better staff than the one they, they had uh, probably because, you know, the offensive line coach and the wide receivers coach were gone and they had, they had new coaches. So that probably played a, a, a large role in, in that declaration by a lot of people, but I just, you know, I probably I laughed at that because they hadn't coached together as a staff yet. How, how in the world can you evaluate that? You can't. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of this, but it, yeah. No, hey, number four roster talent. Yeah. At quarterback, Tim, definitely. I mean, they were down three, three, I think, to Marshall when Tyler Buckner throws a hideous pick six with his best player wide open on the other side of the field. I mean, that's a, that's on the quarterback, too. That is certainly Jack Cohn can drive you down. And I'm not going to act like Jack Cohn had this team 7-0. and If they were 7-0, and it'd be the worst 7-0 and team you've ever seen. But they would not have lost both of those games to Stanford and, and Marshall because you can also trust him. You can trust Jack Cohn. Look at all the time... Drew Pine has to throw against Stanford and having Jack Cohn back there. Jack Cohn was here. Braden Lindsay would be a second team midseason All-American. Yeah, Braden Lindsay would have a <laughs> lot of yards right now. If Jack Cohn was here. He is open all the time, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> Iris John M. Are Marcus Freeman and his staff suffering from paralysis by analysis after every game? It seems like they are going overboard with overthinking the issues with the whole operation instead of focusing on what can be fixed. Preparation and game planning. Yeah. Well, this all sounds real familiar because Pete, you were the first, you brought it up. You brought it up on Thursday, I believe, and I agreed with you. And then, then the game only reinforced it to me, which it was a large basis of what the point after was about. I think there's just too many. Go fast, play slow, focus on this, focus on end game, focus on beginning, focus on middle eight. I, I realize that those are ways to get better after you've made mistakes, but it definitely has the, what you said, Pete, on, on Thursday, what I thought was completely accurate. It has the feel of, it's like a, it's like a grab bag from moment to moment. They, it's like reinventing the wheel every seven days. That's how it feels. Maybe, maybe because, maybe because I'm looking for a, a reason to justify it all happening which is what we do in our business. But that's how it feels to me. When you emphasize everything, you've emphasized nothing. That's sort of where I feel like Marcus Freeman and his head coach learning process right now. Um, it, yeah, it, it feels, I mean, it sounds this way when he answers questions. When you answer a question about one thing, he'll give you five or six different reasons for it. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, what's the reason? You don't know. Um by the end of it. So, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if it's paralysis by analysis or, or however you want to phrase it, but um, I do think there's this, I mean, this is really Brian Kelly's biggest strength probably is like, he knew how to keep the main thing, the main thing and guide a program through a storm, whether he created the storm or not. Um, he was very confident and assured and consistent in his messaging, whether they won by 25 last weekend or lost by 12. Um, and that was, that's a real strength of him as a CEO. And I, Marcus Freeman does not have that strength quite yet. 
Next question from Trevito. After watching Notre Dame's defense versus UNLV, I've come to the conclusion the problem is more a lack of talent than scheme. I think the defensive line misses Heinish a ton, and I question Al Washington's coaching so far. Thoughts? Uh, wow. I don't know. I, you know, I, I like the things the secondary is doing. Uh, maybe the pass rush has been a little bit inconsistent at times. They haven't been great against the run. Everybody is on the, the, the bandwagon of the linebackers suck. And so I'm not saying they're great by any means. Um, I think this is more for me, it's more the case on the offensive side of the ball as, as I think a lot of people know that I don't think it's play calling as much, as much as it is a lack of talent at the skill positions. Um, I think it's a, um, to, we're going to go down a rabbit hole here. Offensively, I agree it's not play calling, but I do think approach is a problem. Notre Dame's approach to offense. Well, again, not because, putting its players it's, in the best position. No, I would agree with that. And 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 that that is, you know, that's on the decision makers. There's no doubt. Pete, what do you think about the defensive side of the ball in this question? I think they are uh, much more talented on defense than their results would indicate. I think they're less than the sum of their parts on defense. Yeah, that's what I wrote. That we have, yeah, and we have a question that will address that will address that. Yeah, and again, you know, I mean, if you said, like, if you said before the season that Notre Dame has held six of their seven opponents to to twenty one points or less, you would probably have a much different impression of the way this season has gone so far for the defense. But there's just there's two, just, I mean, we and that. Well, it, we say the same things every week because other than the fast start, I guess they kind of got a little fast start against Ohio state, the opening series, but I mean, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we are, we are evaluating the same things week after week after week. Right. So That's there. It doesn't feel like they're getting better. I mean, it's like on the defensive point, they're dead last in the country in terms of forced and second to last in red zone defensive touchdown percentage. If you flip that around and said Notre Dame's offense was dead last in the country in turnovers committed and second to last in the country in red zone touchdown percentage, Reese would already be out of here. I mean, those, those are really bad statistics that I think we sort of gloss over more on defense than offense because they're plays that have not happened opposed to mistakes that were made so it's um that to me it's like that's what marcus freeman wants he wants a disruptive defense and they're they're not really even close to that right now right but pete notre dame is 35th in scoring defense with those bad statistics if tommy reese had a 35th in scoring offense they wouldn't care about the boring the boring approach wouldn't care about the stats i I agree a lot less that's we're we're definitely um we don't it was pretty funny. Somebody wrote a, something about the Shamrock podcast on our message board, Pete, and somebody wrote, hmm. Pete used a disclaimer to talk about the defense instead of the offense as he is contractually obligated to do. So I feel like I must say, I understand it's the offense's fault, the defense. I think the defense has one major flaw this year. They gave up the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter against Marshall, the go-ahead touchdown at the end of the third quarter against Ohio State, and the clincher in the fourth and a go-ahead field goal to Stanford in the fourth quarter in three losses. And that is the number one thing they've done wrong this year. 
Yeah. And as far as Kurt Heinisch, hell yeah, you may, of course you miss Kurt Heinisch. You're always going to miss, not that he was a great player per se, or, a, or his physicality or his, you know, the physical attributes they had were, were necessarily that great, but he was Kurt Heinisch. Now, as far as Al Washington, you know, versus Mike Elston, there is definitely something to be said for a group that knows what they, what their assistant coach, what their uh, position coach wants. And there's no, no doubt about it with Mike Elston having been there for 12 years that they, they knew what he, their uh, line coach wanted. If, is that an issue with Al Washington? I, I, I find that a little bit hard to say uh, at this point, you know, I don't know, but um, yeah. and you have a new defensive coordinator. There's always an adjustment period, but there hasn't been with the previous guys. There hasn't been the adjustment that, that, L. Golden has required. Yeah, you know, Marcus Freeman's what it was two games of bat, of defense where they're cutting gaps loose left and right, right? Um, Toledo or what well, I'm sorry, they played Florida State and Toledo. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking more of, of Clark Lee because he yeah. was no, you're I agree with that. Um and then, good from the beginning and, and pretty much all the way through the winning scores in those three games in those three losses in the fourth quarter. They gave up the clinching score in the fourth quarter to Cincinnati last year, too. The defense did. I mean, that's there's a little bit of a pattern of they gave up the go ahead score to Florida State. They gave up the go ahead score to Oklahoma State. Like these are bad fourth quarter performances by a defense that is supposed to carry Notre Dame's offense. Right. Also, question from A. Kellen One: Does the scan offense make it any harder to get young players involved, given the extra layer of communication involved? Doesn't make it easier. No, but I mean, hell, I, I. that's a part there's more of that certainly there's more but they all have to know that and we and you did see you we all saw Tobias Merriweather line up on the wrong side in the second series of the game and Braden Lindsay had to reposition him um yeah some guys for some guys it's hard to look to the sideline and decipher it and it, it I mean clearly it is for Tobias Merriweather uh, who, who I'm, who I'm trying to think who else had difficulty with that. I think, I think Drew Pine did initially, not this year, but last year and Buckner was able to decipher it. Am I wrong? Do you remember that? I don't, I don't, I, I think I'm, I think I'm right about that. It I don't know. Like I, I don't remember right. last year in terms of who was yeah. looking over and who's. Yeah. What, Pete, mean, what, look, what's your thought on the question, Pete? Scan offense adds a layer of complexity to what they're running. So I think, of course, it makes it harder for players to get on the field. It's one more thing that you have to learn. Um, I I understand why they do it, um, but when it, I feel like the personnel offensively asking them to essentially know two or three plays every snap is not a great idea. Well, it's certainly, I mean, your aggressiveness that you normally align with is dis, 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 is dissipated, right, because of that. But let me, okay, let me ask you, who's not getting on the field because there's this extra layer? We're talking about one player, right? Yeah, but yeah, they just start, these, the, I feel like there's these, the mythical younger players, like, who, are, there aren't any. I think yeah, this is the right. paralysis by analysis one. The question above was paralysis by analysis post-game messaging. I think offensively in the scan, standing there and looking around is paralysis by analysis. I, I can't disagree with that. And if you talk about aggressiveness, well, I am going to ask Coach Reese this Tuesday. 
can tempo help your offense? He used to run a up-tempo offense to start games, and they would go down and score. Like, that, I remember this. It happened. <laughs> so I am wondering why it doesn't get used. It's going to – I mean, it might come off as a question where I don't know what I'm talking about because they don't want to run tempo because they don't want more possessions. I don't know. But it seems like a quick tempo can make you more aggressive. Yeah, and this goes back to the original question about you know, focal point and, and, and reinventing the wheel every, you know, it, there is a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on with that. And there are a lot of, it just feels like on a weekly basis, there's a new emphasis, there's a new focus. And that's hard for players, man. There, that doesn't play to, that doesn't play to the aggressive, the aggressiveness that you want them to play with. There are sometimes I feel like Reese is running an NFL offense with college players and they don't have enough time to master the offense. Whereas like the stuff that he's doing in theory makes sense. If you have all week to teach it and they don't, they just, they don't have it. It's, I mean, you, you even get back to the, we were talking about the fast start, the third play of the game, they're running scan offense or, you know, the scan concept and pine throws it to a UNLV linebacker who just drops it. Like we wouldn't be talking about the fast start. Yeah, very I just true. catches the ball that hit him in the chest. No, so very true. It's um, I don't know. It, it's hard to it's hard because Pine misses an easy touchdown every game too, and you yeah. think you know, he hits that easy touchdown, and then there's you know that's that certainly has nothing to do with the scan or anything. I else. mean, imagine imagine if you're Braden Lindsay and you get open deep again, and uh, I mean, what's your frame of mind as you break open again? It's probably not going to get to me. Where, where's Mayor? <laughs> yeah, where's my? And that's why, like, you know, if you want to get the ball to Braden Lindsay, you're probably just going to have to do what you did last game. You jet sweep him, or you you do the quick uh, shovel off the off the jet action, and get it to him that way. Uh, because I, you can imagine the level of frustration that he has felt when, you know. And again, I think uh, Jason Garrett mentioned it. Just the the line drive that pine through, you know, anyway, it ended up being like out of the end zone. Was it not? And then the ball, the ball to Tyree, it's gotta be, it's a, it's gotta be over his left shoulder or his right shoulder. And it's directly over him as he's running a route straight up the field. That's an, that's an impossible catch for a wide receiver, let alone a running back. And he missed him too. Yeah, he missed him. <laughs> Both hands while he was running straight. Yeah, he missed him. He missed him very badly. Uh, Baby, question. Go ahead, Tim. Baby Campbell, forty. What players can we say have shown progress this year? And he offers Diggs, Bracy, Osafa Mensa. Are there others? He go ahead. Those guys for sure. Um, you know, I think just sort of by definition that you would you would still have to include. Um, you know, Tobias Merriweather making progress from not playing to, to playing 20 snaps last week, catching a, a touchdown the week before. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Justin Adamola got off to a really good start, but I feel like he's been productive lately. Um, I don't think he did but, get off to a really good start. So that's yeah. Good linebackers. There's nobody I would really pick out there. Um, safety. There's nobody I'd really pick out there. You know, both special, both specialists. I know people don't want to talk about that when it comes to like finding players who have made progress, but both those guys have been good too. Zeke uh, Corral, Zeke uh, Corral. Oh yeah, of course, definitely, yeah. definitely Zeke Corral. In all, but the point, the point is is taken. I mean, it's a good question because we're not seeing a lot of that, and we've said that that 
you know, collectively and individually, we're not seeing a whole lot of improvement. By the way, we thought there were questions about Jack Kaiser's playing time Saturday, and we thought it was because of nickel and stuff. But he he did have a he did have a fibers that he was he was dealing with. But I mean, who else would we? Howard Cross, maybe to an extent, yeah, be a good has one. improved. Uh, Prince well, Cali. Blake Prince Fisher certainly was a little banged up I, at the beginning of the year. Is now is playing much better, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Josh Lug. I mean, uh, people wanted him. We're not hearing. Nobody's calling for Josh Lug to be replaced by by Rocco Spindler in the last few weeks, and he's improved, which is good when you're a six year senior. It's okay to get better, right? <laughs> it's 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 good when you make progress as a as a 24 year old right guard. P.G. Dumont, will Notre Dame take advantage of the Clemson QB controversy by either flipping Chris Vizina or getting D.J. Uyungagale as a transfer? Go with the latter. Go with the latter. I'll take the latter. Yeah, I uh, I don't think Vizina is going to change his mind about Clemson one way or another. It was suggested suggested to me that <laughs> Vizina looks at like if I start one or two years at Clemson, uh, that'll be more beneficial than starting longer at Notre Dame, <laughs> which is, I mean, you can't really blame them for, for looking at it that way. Cool. Uh, as uh, far as Zunga, as, as far as, D, guys. yeah, as, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that Uyangalele is, is ready to transfer based upon uh, being replaced the other day. It'll be interesting to see what happens. They're He's off the, they're, they're all, Clemson's off this week. So Dabo no, we won't. Yeah, he he did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not like Cade Klubnik played all that well. He was on the field when Clemson played better, but I wouldn't give him credit for Will Shipley running it down Syracuse's throat. Yeah. Let me, th- I, I had this uh, text conversation watching Virginia, Georgia Tech, I think. Regarding Brennan Armstrong. Armstrong wants to come to Notre Dame. That would be nice. Seriously, I will leave right now and go pick him up. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not, he's not, he's not playing from what I've seen and heard. He's not playing very well. No, he's he's had a really bad season. Uh, His OC left. He's at Syracuse now. Yes. Yes. Robert and I. Yeah. Uh, Well, by the way, as it turns out. Yeah. But that would be, that would be a guy that I would think maybe would uh, benefit from a change of scenery who has played a, ton of football yeah no doubt can you oh my goodness i mean yeah i i don't i don't want to take a change of scenery too the world we live in there is no reason for him to stay with a new offensive coordinator that he's playing much worse under at virginia right and that and now i mean that's kind of tailor-made for notre dame maybe to swoop in and get him but my point is or the point i want to make is that that's that's how notre dame has to aim high that's how notre dame should approach this offseason, not well, somebody to supplement the quarterback room and they need to aim high. And I think Brennan Armstrong, I mean, I, I, mean, I can remember preview, you know, looking at Virginia last year in previewing, getting ready to evaluate that game. And my God, he was, he was so good. And so, um, you know, multifaceted, he can hurt you with his feet, Robert and I, that's a big concern that because, He's the coordinator that they're facing this weekend, and that's uh, that's a big concern. He's a hell of a coach. Question from LA Irish, one two three, Clemson pulled their star quarterback to win the game against Syracuse with Marcus Freeman 
have the nerve to do that. It would be awesome if Marcus Freeman could pull a star quarterback. I thought you were going to go a different way. I thought you were going to say it'd be awesome. And put in a future star quarterback. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, you think insert- paid problems, Dabo. <laughs> you think you'd insert the uh, uh, a five-star if things were going for the last time Notre Dame pulled a star quarterback? <laughs> and and inserted a star quarter, a future star yeah. quarterback. Yeah, that's a, that's a luxury that Marcus Fre- – that's a decision that Marcus Freeman won't have to make. Yeah, he'd love to make it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I think yeah. he would have the nerve to do that if he were going to Cade Klubnik also. Yeah, I I mean, I would imagine he would, but we have no idea. He's coached seven games this year, eight total. and I think he would replace Drew Pine if he had a five-star. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that he would, he would consult with Tommy Reese, and if Tommy Reese had that kind of quarterback coming off the bench, had he recruited – one to do that conversation going on. then then it would be yeah then it would be a much different perspective and frame of mind to do that but uh enjoyed the question which is why i included it nd fan from new jersey three is al golden doing a worse job than tommy reese reese deserves his critics but the defense is at best just good and golden isn't as hamstrung as reese the underachieving defense is overshadowed by the this is desired offense but i think he means undesirable offense Oh, well, I mean, I think this uh, gets back to the point that, that Pete made a, a bit ago that, yeah, the, the, the sum of the parts are not as great as the individual parts right now on, on the defensive side of the football. And the big thing is the, the big thing for me, or at least the topic of conversation, Timmy brought up, I think it was last week, um, you know, Notre Dame and Pete, you mentioned they're, they're second to last in touchdown percentage defensively in the red zone. And there are only two teams in the country that have allowed their opponent to score every time they've been in the red zone. Rutgers is the other one. And Notre Dame is, you know, I mean, and worse is that, I mean, probably worse, Tim, is that there's, first of all, there've been 17 penetrations in the red zone, which is like 14th in the country, which is really good, but 14 of them have been touchdowns. And I believe you pointed out that you know, in goal-to-goal situations, they've had touchdowns scored against them each time. Yeah, they haven't. I talked to Golden about a couple of weeks ago, and since then it's happened again twice in a row. And actually, even easier. The, the point I was trying to make when I talked to Gold about it was they had made a lot of stops in goal-to-go situations that were followed by third or fourth down touchdowns. Like, right. Something along the lines of the first four games, or it'll be, it'll be the first five games, they had – 11 or 12 tackles in gold coast situations. And I'm talking inside the five, not inside the nine. There's been a lot of inside the five first down stuff, second down stuff, third down stuff, touchdown, first down stuff, second down stuff, third down touchdown. It's, it was to the point where he was trying to figure out, I just, he said, I need to make a better call on third and fourth down because we have wins, but we're not winning. It's, I think it's hard to evaluate this, like the Reese golden comparison only because there's like, there's no equivalent of the quarterback position on defense that is like outsized in its impact on that unit. Um, you could literally any position, if you, if you put in like a Drew Pine type of athlete, like it, it would not impact the defense the way that it does on the offense. No, I think that's a good point. If you have a Kyle Hamilton, Jalen Smith type player, I guess you kind of have that in Foskey, but he needs to do it against more than, and just UNLV. Uh, but no, that's a good point. And I don't, you know, 
I, these kind of questions, I mean, it's always like, you know, offensive coordinator versus defensive coordinator. I, you know, when you're a coach, you're not looking, you're not playing one off the other. You're not saying, Hey, you suck. And this guy's doing well. It's a, it's a, it's a T it's a team thing. And so I don't look at these kind of things, the same perspective as some people do on the outside, but I think it's a good question. Um, and I think it's a fair question because L golden has going into the season. He had more to work with than, than Tommy Reese, all things considered question from K Garrity eight. It's a long one. Hang with me in order. Which of the following is most likely to happen and least likely to happen. One Steve Angeli supplants drew pine as QB one at some point Two, her name beats two out of Syracuse Clemson in USC and finishes off the beatable teams to go eight and four three. We see pine take a step and start consistently hitting open receivers or four Nording finishes seven and five and wins the Duke Duke's mail bowl over a school like Iowa. Boy, we're all look. Hey man, I'm, I'm, what is the mail bowl? <laughs> I'm lining up. I'm lining up for that matchup. Nording versus Iowa. Did you see the over under as of last night? in Iowa Northwestern is 31.3. I was going to say, is it 32? If it holds at 31.5, it is the lowest listed over under in the history of major college football. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, that's uh-huh. bad. I mean, you know, I, I kind of cringe when people say it's unwatchable because you're, you're watching it and you're saying it's unwatchable. <laughs> right. But that's no fun. <laughs> That's no fun. And that's, and that's a lot, frankly, it's a lot of NFL football. The least likely of these is that Notre Dame beats both of those teams and goes eight and four, two of those three teams that goes eight and four. Cause that means that, yeah, that, that's the least likely for me. I think the most, I think three and four are kind of connected. Notre Dame finishes seven and five and wins the Mayo bowl. I think pine will take the step and start consistently hitting open receivers. Right. If that is to happen. Uh, yeah, that would mean, yeah. What, don't you want a, a fifth choice here? Don't you guys want a fifth choice? Well, six and six is easy. <laughs> we're not going for that. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't think Angeli supplants Drew Pine without injury. Do you guys? What if no, no. Syracuse and Clemson and are behind Navy at the half? I thought yeah, that well, last week and how they managed the quarterbacks told you what you need to know about how the staff felt about Steve Angeli today, that he's got a ways to go. Because if, if he was close, I think they would have sat Pine for longer, especially because the second half game plan was just hand the ball off or hold it out in front of you for Braden Lindsay to take. Like you would think Angeli would be able to do that. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because they, because they, UNLV never got closer than 16 points. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't like Notre Dame was in jeopardy of losing the game because of the way Drew Pine was playing. I just think the way in the first half, no. In the second half, they didn't really ask Drew Pine to do anything. Yeah. He was just out there. And I thought that Steve Angeli, if he, if Steve Angeli is able to be out there, then they would have gone that way and they didn't. So it just made me think like, okay, he's a little bit farther away than I think a lot of people would like. Three and, and four hand in hand. So I'll go three is the most likely. Four is the second most likely. And let, for the record, I would like to admit that I – I think when I was leaving the press box to go down to the field that I wanted my seven and five prediction back from last Thursday, <laughs> but in the light of day, you know, I rewatched the game and thought a little bit differently about it. Not a whole lot, but a little bit differently. Uh, but no, I, I, I mean, I don't, 
I know people want to hear that, that, that Steve Angeli is going to supplant Drew Pine, but I think it's much more likely that we see Pine take a step forward. And, you know, I mean, he's due to hit a couple of those deep balls, right? Is that such a thing? Can you be due to? As, we, as we've been saying a lot this year, he's allowed to do that. Yes, he should. That's, he's allowed to do that as taking over for what are we doing here? Yeah. Next question from Boise Forever. What are your early week thoughts on Syracuse and the opening line? Well, the whole talk about Robert and I is concerning, and I was thinking about that as, as we were preparing for this because, um, well, mainly because you see the difference. Schrader makes it. Schrader makes a huge difference for them. But I. But what I had in mind was the way that Virginia has sputtered without him as offensive coordinator, and knowing that Brennan Armstrong is still the quarterback at Virginia. But uh, Notre Dame opened as a two-point favorite. What what were your thoughts on that, Tim? When you saw that? Well, I knew they were a one-point favorite the week before, so I wasn't shocked. So okay, yeah, yeah, they're a three and a half point underdog right now, which makes the most sense or three maybe it's three point underdog that makes the most sense my thoughts on the line are 45 and a half I'd like to see Notre Dame try to get to that so I'm gonna I would probably go the under as my early thought on this game yeah I mean and and the thing is that Syracuse is playing well they just they beat NC State 24 to 9 in game six they had Clemson no, no one of them although that's true Larry yeah, yeah yeah Larry yeah he was that's true that's true um they had a two-point win over Virginia which was kind of ugly. They should have won by more than that. From what I remember seeing that, they had a three-point win over Purdue. Louisville was playing very bad football when the season started, and they beat them. So, I mean, I don't, you know, even Marcus Freeman was uh, a a little bit confused as to why Sean Tucker (laughs) carried the football five times last week. Uh, And I wanted to ask him that because I'm sure, you know, I mean, apparently Sean Tucker tweeted out, I'm not hurt. Or something like I'm okay. <laughs> like I could. He's going to get the ball this week against Notre Dame. Yes, exactly. That was uh, my point of bringing it up. That you know they're going to. It's like Logan Diggs. All of a sudden, Logan Diggs got a whole bunch more carries. I wonder how that happened. That yeah, uh, you know, and I think it. Well, Sean Tucker's an established, proven star running football, so I think we'll see more of them. Uh, I, I want go ahead, Tim. Anything funnier than Marcus Freeman today talking to us about Sean Tucker like he was one of us sitting there wondering why he wasn't playing, watching the game? He's like, he's like, Sean, I don't know why he didn't play much. I guess they're not going to tell us though. <laughs> it's just like, what? It was a very funny moment of like not scripted at all. It's like, yeah. no one could figure out why the best player on Syracuse didn't get the ball against the best team on their schedule. The linebacker play at Syracuse is good. The DB play is good. I, I want to study the defensive line because I know as I analyzed it going into the season, they, they had, they had issues up front. I got to tell you something because of that back seven in July, I picked this as the lowest scoring game of the season. Right now. I think I'm in trouble because yes. of Stanford. <laughs> please, please let it be that you were, by trouble. the way, did you see what Stanford did last week? This past Saturday? Yes. Tim, do you know? No. They won 15 to 14 at home over Arizona State on five Joshua Cardi field goals. So they've won 16 to 14 and 15 to 14 in consecutive weeks. How many uh, yards and carries did my man have there? Who's that? <laughs> your your favorite running back? My favorite running back who fumbled three times. I, I have not. I have not checked that. I haven't gotten to that yet. Question from Boise. For, uh, I'm sorry, we had that. Uh, we're going to wrap up with Kevin Cunningham six six seven, and that is, 
ESPN recently rated new coaching hires and gave Marcus Freeman a D. What do the three of you give as a grade? Right now, I had Notre Dame going nine and three, and they're four and three. So I would say a D is a good call. I agree. I think a D is a fair grade for where things stand. Yeah, I was going to say this is a football team that should be six and one, and they're four and three. So whatever you give a, whatever grade you give for doing that. Yep, and even probably if you only a dropped one of those, if you only dropped one of those, I would I would raise it because I can still understand how one can happen. Stanford or Marshall. Right. Not both. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I can understand. I'm, frankly, I can probably understand Marshall more than Stanford. All right. Uh, I'm going to take everything back I said about David Shaw and the coaching. I know they won the game. Casey Filkins had eight carries. Uh, the team had 25, and nine of them were by Tanner McKee, which is probably sex. So they ran the ball. They ran, wait, they ran the ball 16 times? That's impossible. Tanner That's... McKee, 57 times for 320 yards, Whoa. no touchdowns and a pick. Now I know why they lost, lose to everybody except for Notre Dame. Now I lower my grade to an F2 for Freeman after I just saw that. But there's Okay, I want to I conclude by uh... – <laughs> I was going to say, I want to conclude by angering all the people that don't like Drew Pine. I feel like sometimes, like when we talk about Drew Pine and J.D. Bertrand, I mean, you know, we're not in the business of just tearing these guys down completely. It's it's easy when you're anonymously ripping these guys apart. And, and I, you know, you try not to, you try not to be overly harsh with, it's one thing with the coaches. It's a little bit different with the players, but I want to end on this stat. Um, in terms of pass efficiency, behind Drew Pine are Jackson Dart of Mississippi, Jordan Travis of Florida State, Sean Crawford of Penn State, Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State, Tyler Van Dyke of Miami, Tanner McKee of Stanford, Devin Leary of NC State, who's out for the year, JT Daniels, who could have been at Notre Dame from West Virginia, Phil Jakovic, of course, from BC, and Keaton Slovis at Pittsburgh, Owen. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. That has no real significance because Drew Pine didn't play well the last the last two weeks, but I just thought I'd throw that out there just for entertainment value. Not that entertaining, huh? We'll be back on. We'll, we'll be You're back. And, a bunch of quarterbacks. Everybody listening wants right now. Oh, okay, oh, I'll man, you walked into yeah, it. Right, right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right there. I, I, we'll be back on Thursday. I'll try to be a little bit more entertaining, at least when I wrap up the podcast on Thursday when we talk about Notre Dame-Syracuse. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.